Good to be back with you after I missed last week. I think um, twice in about almost 42 years of being a pastor, I've uh, not been able to carry out my functions on, on uh, Sunday morning. But I knew late last Saturday afternoon I just wasn't going to make it. Fortunately, George Bullard, good friend, member here at Spring Valley, and also our uh, new director of missions for the Coming Metro Association was available, and he preached. And I think he gave a great challenge to you as a church about needing to pivot and then I think some of you had some flashbacks to days of friends on TV about some episodes about Pivot. I saw that later on Facebook and, and that, but I hope you got the spiritual emphasis of what he was talking about. Well, we need to catch up. I missed last week, so let's catch up. We were in a sermon series called Focus, and we're talking about renewing our focus. And we talked first about renew our vision, about who we are and, uh, and what we're supposed to be about, what God's called us to do. We talked about having a renewed mind. We have the mind of Christ, but at the same time, sometimes we need to have that mind renewed constantly. And then we talked about the need for a renewed spirit. If we are lacking in our spiritual zeal, we talked about that need for a renewed spirit. So today we're going to talk about uh, renew my thoughts on eternity. And we'll be focusing specifically about heaven. You know, all kind of questions are always asked about what's heaven like? What will we do in heaven? You know, Will, will, will our animals be in heaven? Will my dog be in heaven? You know, what, you know, will the golf courses be in heaven? All those kinds of things that we ask about. I'm hoping that today we'll deal more with, I think, some of the, the uh, spiritual truths about uh, what we really can anticipate in heaven and realize there are some things that we just don't know uh, what we're going to experience. But I thought it was interesting that a Gallup poll showed that 81% of Americans believe in heaven. Can you imagine that? 81% of Americans said they believe in heaven. We can't get 81, we can't get Americans 81% to agree on anything. And yet we had 81% said they agreed in heaven. But at the same time, those same 81% said they really did not have a clear understanding or vision of what heaven was going to be like. And so that kind of leaves us in that gap wondering, how can heaven or eternity have an impact on my life today? You know, we all, all perhaps are familiar with the saying that says everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And so in, in some ways then, our misunderstandings of heaven causes it to be marginalized in our life. And when it's trivialized, uh, our lives are marginalized. And what do we mean by that? Well, there is a view that a lot of people have about heaven, that everybody's in the same room, we're wearing the same thing, which is like a white robe, we're floating on clouds, we're singing hymns, and we're strumming on a harp. And most people say, that's just boring. I, I, I wouldn't look forward to that. Well, that's not the picture that the Bible gives to us. That view also sees that there's no connection between what we do on earth and our life now and, and what will happen to our life in heaven or eternity to come. And the Scriptures teach us that... Um, uh, there is something very significant in the connection between our life here, what we do, and what we do in activity-wise in, in heaven. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, we're reminded of the fact that we as believers, and this is talking about the judgment of believers, that we all stand before Christ and, and His judgment seat. It's like Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive what is due them for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And then to emphasize that point, Paul refers to it again in, in Romans 14.10, and Jesus said essentially the same thing in Matthew 12.36. In other words, God is taking notes. He's keeping a record of our activities, of our life events, 
what we do with our gifts, what we do with opportunities to share the gospel. Are we faithful with our offerings and being obedient to him in other areas of our life? See, so that tells us that there is a direct impact on our life here and what we do and the life that we experience in the world to come that's known as eternity. And I think one of the other ways that we kind of trivialize heaven is with inconsistent interpretations about heaven and eternity. I don't know how many times I've heard people, and there's so many songs, so many gospel songs particularly about things like dancing all over heaven. And I've heard people say after a funeral or even at a funeral, I know that the uncle or, or aunt or grandma or somebody is up there now just dancing on those streets of gold in heaven. Well, that's not true. Uh, The Bible does describe heaven as having streets of gold, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But the dead in Christ aren't walking on them or any other streets right now. One of the main reasons for that is they don't have a body. They haven't received a resurrection body yet. We haven't had the day of the resurrection to come. Now, in John 14, 13, it gives us an idea about what the dead in Christ are doing now. That is, then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. So what are the dead in Christ doing now? I believe the Bible teaches us that they're resting. They're at rest. The writer of Hebrews talks about that great rest that is waiting for the people of God. And so what, why, how long will they rest? It, it is until the day of resurrection. And I believe that the Scriptures teach that the day of resurrection occurs when Jesus comes to gather the church, to gather all believers. And the Bible says that the dead in Christ rise first. Those who are left who are believers, we're caught up with the dead in Christ. And we're together with the Lord in the air. And we're taken to heaven. And then two things take place. We, at some point in time during that time, while the tribulation, seven years of, of wrath of God unleashed on the earth is taking place, there are two things in heaven of great magnitude that take place. One is, we have that judgment. We stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we are judged. And that determines our rewards. The second thing that takes place is the marriage feast of, of, of the Lamb. And that's where we as the bride are united with our bridegroom. And that takes place in the glories of heaven. And the way I look at things is how they unfold. To me, that's the only way that I can put an order, a systematic order for it to take place. Okay, so right now, I believe that the dead in Christ are resting in heaven, waiting for Jesus to come and claim the church. The day of resurrection, we get the resurrected bodies. We stand before the judgment seat. We're involved in the marriage feast of the Lamb, and then we come back with Christ, and He establishes His millennial reign, and then we move into that realm of eternity, new heaven and new earth, and that's what we'll talk about. So when we're basically talking about heaven, that is before Christ returns. When we talk about eternity and heaven, I think we're talking about what happens after Christ returns. So what's the difference? Well, the heaven after Christ returns is a new heaven and a new earth. And that item appears, that teaching appears in both Old and New Testament. Isaiah 65, God says, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. And then he emphasizes again in Isaiah 66, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, so will your name and descendants endure. So there's that concept again about a new heaven and a new earth. Then we find it more in detail in the New Testament in 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 13. Peter says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Now, what does that mean? It means that God will create a new heaven and a new earth for our eternal home. And that's repeated in Revelation 21, 1 through 5, which is oftentimes where we get the concept about what people are doing up there now. That con- this, this section of Scripture in Revelation 21 does not take place until later. But here's what John saw. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. See, that's the teaching that's consistent all the way through Scripture. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then in latter verse 21, we find the description of that new Jerusalem that the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl, and the great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. There you get the streets of gold, but it doesn't come until the new heaven and the new earth. So what does all that mean for us? What is God doing? He's making all things new. Now, there are two Greek words to describe new, neos and kainos. Neos describes something that's brand new. You get a brand new car. You get a, you get a brand new tie, brand new suit, brand new dress, brand new outfit, you know, uh, whatever it is. It's brand new. I don't, I don't know why we say brand new, but anyway, it's, it's new. Then the word kainos is meant to restore something to its original intent. That's the word that's used here when God is creating the new heaven and new earth. The new earth will be this earth redeemed and restored to its original design when God created it in the first place. You might remember that the scriptures also talk to us about that the earth is groaning in anticipation of that time of redemption, waiting for that time when that new eternity, that new heaven and new earth will be a reality. So what do we have come to understand then in the meantime, waiting for all that to take place? What, 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 what do we get as a glimpse of heaven that we can see that will tell us something about what we actually will be doing and experiencing when we come to experience life eternally in the kingdom of God? Well, let's look at Revelation chapter 7. Here's a passage of Scripture where in the midst of describing all kinds of things that take place in the book of Revelation and the fulfillment of God's timetable for the end and the consummation of time, that he just peels back the curtains of heaven to give us a glimpse of what's going to be taking place in the glories of heaven. Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. 
They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Now listen to this fulfillment. It's like what we find in Revelation 21. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now that's a brief reprieve there about what we can anticipate about life in eternity. So what do we see that we will be doing? What will we be involved in? What, what glorious aspect of life can we look forward to and anticipate in that, in that world that's yet to come? Well, I think there are three great observations that John gives to us here. First of all, we will be a part of a great multitude of diverse people. That is, that is so powerful to emphasize. We will be a part of a great multitude of diverse people. Notice some things. First of all, the number of the redeemed. It couldn't be counted. There were so many people there, they were beyond human calculation. And I think that gives us some hope about the number of people who ultimately will hear and respond to the gospel. Second, notice the variety. They are saints, he describes, from every nation, tribe, people, and language group. What a diverse group we will be in the glories of heaven. Third, note the posture where they are. They are standing before the throne. They're worshiping God. Fourth, notice what they have on. They wear white robes, a symbol of purity, and have palm branches, a sign of victory. And then notice the song of the redeemed. They are singing about salvation that comes from God and from the Lamb. What a wonderful picture that is. What a wonderful gathering of diverse people all who were there to worship the Lamb and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here are two great things to notice about that. When we see John's vision of that great multitude of people, I think we can be encouraged about the number of people who will come to trust Jesus Christ, who will be saved and who will be a part of that glorious gathering in heaven. We know not everybody will respond to the gospel. Not everybody will be saved. But there are no limits to the number of people who will respond to that all those who've been saved from the beginning of Christianity and all those who will be saved until the Lord Jesus comes and claims his church and gathers us home to him. I think that gives us hope and encouragement about what we're doing we need to continue to keep on doing, preaching Jesus, teaching Jesus, sending people on mission trips, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, every opportunity that we have. Then the second reality I think that we need to pay attention to is this vast multitude that is diverse. It is of every tribe, every nationality, every language group, and we are all there. We are not separated by socioeconomic barriers, by language, nor by ethnicity, by race, but we are all there together. 
Every bit of prejudice, racism, any kind of prejudice will be gone and every human strife will be left behind and we will live in a harmonious environment for all eternity. Don't you look forward to that day? What a glorious day that will be when all of God's children meet together around the throne. And I think also when you describes us from being of every race and people and tribe and tongue that we keep our identity in heaven. And I think that says that we will be known in heaven as well. But there we are, a great diversity of people from all over the world and yet individual in our identity. That's a glorious thing to anticipate. Then secondly, we will celebrate our salvation through the blood of the Lamb. There's an interesting dialogue here. One of the elders said to John, these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? John says, you know. And the the man says, yes, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. See, these are those who come out of the great tribulation. That's that period of of hell being unleashed on earth for that seven-year period of judgment when God just lets that judgment be poured forth on the earth. It'll be a terrible time of wrath on earth, but there will be people who will be saved during that time. And they will come out of that great tribulation because they will have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In other words, they will have heard the message of Jesus Christ and they will respond to that. And we're reminded that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And Jesus said in John 14 that he's going to prepare a place for us. And that place he is preparing for us is for those who have trusted in him and had their sins forgiven and washed clean through the blood that he shed on the cross of Calvary. And if we believe in that and we accept him and we confess him as our Savior, then we expend eternity with him. It's the only way that we can do that. John 17, 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know Jesus is to know eternal life. And in heaven, we will celebrate our salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross of Calvary. Now, here's the third observation about this glorious experience. And that is, we will experience a level of life unequal to anything we have ever known. It doesn't matter how great, exorbitant, extravagant your lifestyle is here on earth. It doesn't matter how how content you are with the with a a very meager lifestyle that you're just content there, it doesn't matter which, which extreme you might be living in. It does say to us, though, that in that eternity yet to come, we will experience a level of life unequal to anything we have ever known. We can't even imagine what it's going to be like. Absolutely profound. Therefore, verses 15 and 17, Uh, They are before the throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That doesn't sound like a boring place to me. And I hope it doesn't to you. It's not a boring place, but it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful way of living and spending all of eternity. That's why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. You know, one of the reasons I think that we have such a difficult time reading the book of Revelation and grasping 
the reality of eternity is because we abound so much by time and space and God is not. So what does God reveal to us here about heaven and that wonderful level of life? Well, first of all, he tells us what's not going to be there. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. See, there won't, be, there won't be any sickness, there won't be any death, there won't be any funeral homes, there won't be any hospitals, there won't be any nursing homes. Hopefully there won't be any more sinus infections, you know. We won't have to deal with grief or hurt or sickness or death. All that's going to be gone. It'll be a wonderful place to live. Second, he's told us what will be there. Well, there will be love. We'll be united with love. It'll be a community of love. People will be there from all over the world, from every tribe, nation, and tongue, he says. And we will all be living in harmony. There will be no racial boundaries. There will be no socioeconomic boundaries. There will be no racism. There will be no strife. There will be no tension. But we will all be there as one people gathered together to glorify God. Won't that be wonderful? And then heaven will be a place of dynamic activity. We will serve him. We're not going to sit around twiddling our thumbs on a cloud. <laughs> Revelation 22.3 says, and his servants will serve him. We're going to rest from our sin for a while. We're going to rest from our, our labors for a while. But then the Bible says we will serve him. And that's far from being boring. Can you imagine how your mind will expand with the vision and the greatness of God? How worship will be magnified in, in, the, in the very presence of God. And what will we be doing for all eternity? Somehow, in some way, and I have a hard time wrapping my brain and my spirit around this, but in some way, we will be helping God run the universe, this new heaven and new earth. In Luke 19, verses 11 through 27, he told the story about the rich nobleman who had three servants. And as he left for a journey, he imparted to them certain amounts of money. And when he came back, he called accounting how, how they had invested them. The first one invested his money at 100%. And he said, well, well done. So he said, said you, will rule over, you will rule over 10 cities. The next servant had invested and had dividends of 50%. And he said, well done. You will rule over five cities. The third one came and said, I was afraid. I hid it in the ground. I buried it, but here is your money. And that was taken away from him, and he didn't get any reward. You see, we go back to what we talked about, about the fact that our life here, what we do with our opportunities, with the gospel, with our gifts, with our talents and our abilities, they all determine our role in eternity and what we will be doing. It's based, our reward is based upon how faithful we are in this world. And somehow in that, we work with God to help him rule the universe. We serve him in that capacity. Isn't that a wonderful life? Isn't that a wonderful level of life that we've never experienced before? All that is promised to us in this new heaven and new earth. And so we ask God, renew my vision of eternity. It's a new heaven and a new earth. It's been recreated and restored to be like what it was in the beginning of time before sin entered in. And there won't be any sin in heaven either. But we'll all be there as redeemed people for all time. And, and the major question you need to ask today is, in the midst of all these questions that you might ask about, you know, will there be golf courses? Will my animals be there? Will my pets be there? Will, will we do this? What will it look like? What, what are we going to do all that time? The major thing to focus on 
is the fact that you will be in the presence of God for all eternity and you will see Jesus Christ face to face. And the only way that you get into heaven is by faith in him right now. Now let me ask you a question. God has prepared this glorious place for us called heaven. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and it's going to be a fantastic place to live. He says the only way you can get there, though, the only way you can get there is through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, is that some kind of narrow-minded exclusiveness on God's part? Why, Why doesn't he give us multiple ways to enter into heaven except through faith in his son Jesus Christ that he gave up and allowed him to be crucified on the cross of Calvary in his bloodshed? Well, maybe we can make an analogy from an event that happened back in July. On July 15th, 2017, just a couple of months ago, Garth Brooks was in concert in Oklahoma City. Some of you might have read about this. And during one of his songs, he noticed a commotion broke out up in the balcony. And he stopped and he asked what was going on. And he discovered that a couple had just gotten engaged. And so he said, hey, that's great. So he cried out and he asked the, the girl who was engaged, said, where are you going on your honeymoon? And she said, we don't know. And Garth Brooks says, I tell you what I do. He said, if you go to Hawaii for your honeymoon, I will pay for it. Well, that was a great offer, wasn't it? Fantastic offer. Do you think that that was narrow-minded on his part, that he would only offer to this young couple a trip to Hawaii for their honeymoon? Why not Costa Rica? Why not Haiti? Why not South America? Why not somewhere like that? He just said, hey, you want to go on vacation? You want to go on a beautiful honeymoon? I'll send you to Hawaii. I'll pay for it. I thought it was a great, gracious, wonderful, loving act to pay for that couple to go to Hawaii. I guess they went. I don't know why he picked Hawaii, but I mean, I, I guess they went. I haven't heard the follow-up to it. Well, in the same way, God has prepared for us this wonderful place called heaven. He says, you want to go? He says, yeah, that sounds great. Then he says, you have to believe in my son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way. That's, that's not being narrow-minded. That's being gracious, loving, generous, and kind. And so the question for today as we seek to have our mind renewed and focused about eternity is this. Have you accepted Jesus Christ? Have you accepted Christ as the only way to this glorious place called heaven where you will spend eternity with Jesus Christ? Father, we thank you for the depth of your love that you would send Jesus Christ to the cross to die for us in our sins so that as we trust in him and believe in him, we can spend eternity with you and we'll experience the glory and the splendor of this wonderful place called eternity call the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, and we will spend it with you forever and ever. Father, I pray for anyone here today who's not made that decision that he or she will come today to faith in Jesus Christ. They'll confess their sins, repent from those sins, embrace Jesus Christ as Savior and accept that forgiveness and the promise of not only abundant life here, but everlasting life in the world to come. Father, we pray that in the name of Christ our Lord and our Savior. 